as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They, the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. The end. That's the end of 1 Timothy. So here's what we're going to do today. He gives some final exhortations, some like final warnings and advice um, in verses 17 through 21. I want to give you some some uh, quick considerations, and then we are going to do what we love to do at Cross Life. Whenever we finish a book, we're going to read the entirety of the book so that we hear it all collectively together as it was written. And I'll, I'll speak to that here in a moment, explain why we do that. But I always approach this, and, and my own kids, my own boys have told me that this is what helps. Whenever you ask the question that some of us are already asking, um, like even as kids like that, it kind of helps. And I'm I'm trying to, my kids teach me too. Because they came home one day, they're like, yeah, that was like one of your best sermons. And I'm like, that one? Okay, what, why? And they're like, well, it just made sense. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Got it? And I said, but, but what, what was, I, like, what made it make more sense? Because I feel like I'm using the same language, same vocabulary. And I think it was Jackson, he said, well, you, you asked questions. And they're kind of questions that I'm sometimes asking to, or something to that degree. And, and so I do, I, I go to this passage, verses 17 through 21, and uh, we're at the end, and I kind of just go, okay, what's going on here? And it's what we call the final exhortations. And exhortation is like a biblical word. We don't, nobody has ever walked up to me and been like, man, great exhorting today, great exhortation, high five. Nobody does that. We don't talk about that. But they are, they're warnings and encouragements. So they're final things here in the letter. So Paul is finishing the letter and he has a few final things to say. And this is what he spends his words saying. A final exhortation to the rich. Y'all, we need this. Okay, so I want to move through the final exhortation to the rich, the final exhortation to Timothy, and then we're going to read this thing. So verse 17 says this. He's the final exhortation, the final warning and encouragement all together, kind of that. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, don't be arrogant and don't be proud. But cross life, you and I can split hairs as much as we want to about, well, are, am I the rich? I'm, I'm not the rich right now because I don't classify myself as the rich. Y'all, if we are sitting in an air-conditioned building in a car that we drove with going home to eat food and we're wearing clothes, praise the Lord, but we can go home and choose other clothes that we could wear or that we could change into, if we have those things, we categorically are the rich in this passage. We might culturally define ourselves as rich in a different way, but the context of this, we are the rich of this present age. We may not be as rich as we want to be. We may not have as much as we want, but you and I have so much more than we know, and we have enough of what we need. It's just not enough of what we want. That's usually what it comes down to. We have more than we know, enough of what we need, just not enough of what we actually want. So this is speaking to us is what I want you to get. 
Whenever it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. What? Don't be proud and don't be arrogant. But you and I have to understand that we are the rich. And it says this, tell them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Here's how we know if our hope is set on the uncertainty of riches is this. Where is your security? Like if the finances fell tomorrow, are you okay? I get it. You're going to have needs. You're going to have wants. You're going to have desires. You're going to have very real anxiety and worries in those moments. I get that. That's what I'm saying. But where's your security? Is it in the riches? Is it in the bank account? It says don't put your hope. And that's talking about like that peacefulness, that security on the uncertainty of riches. And we've preached about this, but y'all know rich, that our riches, they are fickle and they are temporary. And so that's why I say, don't put all your hope in that bank account. Don't put it all in the finances. And then look at this, but on God. Y'all, it all comes back to this. And this is what I would want my kids to know. It's what I would want you and I as co-heirs of Christ to know. I think it's what Scripture oh so clearly teaches. It all comes back to this one more time. Our hearts can only serve one master. Our affections can only be set truly on one thing. We can only treasure truly one thing. And the two things that will vie for all of our affections in this world are going to come down to riches or God. That's why Jesus speaks on it. That's why we have to know that. I am just as guilty. Like, I am going to be tempted to see God and pursue God, but also to want these things. And my head will want to turn, and I will want to say, oh, but I can hold to this and have this too. But you know what? Only by God's grace and by His blessing, if that's what He wants to do. I believe He blesses some with, uh, with riches. I believe He blesses some with poverty. Like, I believe that all of those things, they come from him. And how in the world can he bless with poverty? Like, he is always doing a work that we do not understand. He's always working in ways that are immeasurable. And his wisdom is so deep that we cannot understand. This is what we talked about this last week in family worship. We were, we're, we're using Right Now Media, by the way. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever used Right Now Media. Crosslot pays for a subscription. I'll, if you're not signed up for Right Now Media... Shoot me a text. I'll get you in. You don't even have to be a member. We have plenty of license. Uh, right now, media is the Netflix of Bible studies, basically. And so for kids, what we're doing for our family worship is Shane and Shane have something right now called Worship in the Word. And they, they take songs from Scripture, and, they, and they're songs that are on kids' levels, but then they talk about it. And the one this week, the focus was from Isaiah, and as high as the heavens are above the earth, God says, so is my wisdom. You can't search me out, basically. And so, like, we talked about that. Like, here's the earth, and here is, like, where we are. And the highest wisdom that could ever be attained by the smartest, wisest, most incredibly brilliant person is still only going to reach this part, and yet God is still immeasurably higher and richer in wisdom than even that person. Like, there's always a limit to the creation, and God the Creator is so much higher and above. And so you and I just have to understand... That in what we have, God has been very wise in dispersing to us. It may be that we don't need any more because He can't trust us with it and He knows us better than we know ourselves. So it comes back to this. Don't set, rich, for those who are rich, don't put your hope in the wrong things. Make sure that they are seated on God. And so like, if I'm applying this, I'm like, okay, is, 
Is my heart really seated on God? I just, for me, I say, where does my peacefulness come from? From God or from the things that God has given me? So, now look what it says about God. It says, God, Scripture says, who richly provides us with everything, I love this, to enjoy. Like, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that He's richly given everything for us and it's to enjoy? Like, there's a whole lot packed in there. I want to keep going. Here's what the rich are to do. They are to do good, to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Y'all, here is the good that the rich that we are to be doing. It's very, very simple. Two things from this scripture, to do good works and be generous. You and I, if we are the rich in the context of this verse, we are not to, there's the negative, don't put your hope over here, but put it on God. And then here's the positive, do good works and be generous. Like, that's it. I love it when it's so simple. I'm going to mess that up. I'm going to say, but what do you mean by good work? Like, I'm just, you know what? We know. The Spirit within us leads us in the way that we are to walk. We know what is good. We know what we're supposed to do. We do the good works, and we are generous. Now look at verse 19. When we do this, we thus store up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We made this note, cross life, the generosity that we have with our goods and our finances reveals where our treasure truly is. Listen to this, in giving it generously to others or to the church or to different ministries. Let me do that one more time. In giving it generously, that's the good works, to others and to the church or to different ministries, we reveal that our trust is not in money or riches, but in God who will provide back for us. It is a test of faith to give. But you have to know that God is trustworthy and fulfills. He knows everything that you need is what He revealed in the Gospels. You all hear me very clearly. The whole testament of Scripture is this, is that money itself and riches are not evil. That's not bad. It's what we do with them. It's how we treasure them. That's what makes it bad. You're going to hear that in Timothy whenever we read it. But to have money and to be rich, is, that's, that's okay. That's not ungodly. That's not unbiblical. That's what, he, that's what God has blessed people with. It's what do we do. It's how do we perceive our finances. I think whenever we are giving generously and doing good works, it's a way for us to fulfill the greatest command. It's helping us to love our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Our finances are just a vehicle of that. Whenever we love God, we're not loving money. And then whenever we're giving our money, we're loving our neighbor. So our generosity in light of a right view of finances will uproot idolatry in our lives. But I want you to hear very clearly because I hear it preached so wrongly. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not what Scripture says. The love of money is a root of all evil. And it leads to so many different things. But let's put that in the right perspective. But if you were like me, sitting in an air-conditioned building, clothed with other clothing that you can go pick from at home, and you're going to go home, and you know you're going to eat, and your air conditioner might be on the fridge right now, but you know that it's going to get repaired. Like, if you're going home to those, we are the rich here, and you and I are to do this. We are to do good works and be generous. That's his final word to the rich. Final exhortation for Timothy. 
O Timothy, he says in verse 20, guard the deposit entrusted to you. What is this deposit? It's this. The hope that he has because of Christ and that he is to proclaim to the rest of the world. In Cross Life, this is the exact same deposit that you and I have. Paul wrote it to Timothy. It's applicable to us. So you could actually put your name there. It could be, oh, Mark, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Oh, Trent, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Oh, Drew, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And oh, Drew over here also, because we've got two Drews. That way you know that I'm talking to both of you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, you have been given a hope. You've been given a joy. You've been a recipient of the gospel. And so therefore, we have been given a ministry to go make him known. And that is the deposit that you and I have. It's the deposit that I have right now. And I have to guard that deposit. I can't let it just be given away. I can't neglect it, nor can you. But he was speaking to Timothy, but he's speaking to believers throughout all time. And I need you to understand this. Guard it and realize that, look at the the most um, important part to me, is not guard the deposit, it's entrusted to you. Like that phrase, that this has been entrusted to you. I think that we Christians neglect that which God has entrusted with us. And that's to our shame. We've been given much. And He has said to go. Make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you go, do good works. Be generous to others. Guard the deposit. And it's been entrusted to you, but don't neglect it. But we tend to act like this is all ours. And we're just going to guard it. We're going to protect it. We're going to nurture this. And it's ours. And we forget that it was first given to us, that it's been entrusted to us so that God could be glorified throughout the world. So I'm just saying, oh, insert your name. Guard the deposit and entrust it to you as in mine, italicized or underlined, whatever I need to do. I don't want to miss that. I didn't earn the gospel. I didn't earn Jesus Christ. It was given. He came for us so that he could be glorified. Look at the rest of Scripture. Final words to Timothy. It says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. We have preached on this so many times throughout First Timothy, but he basically warns him, says, avoid pointless conversations and empty teaching. Simplify, if we simplify more, avoid false teaching and guard yourself. That's what his final exhortation comes down to. Avoid false teaching, guard yourself. And then he says, grace be with you. And it's over. So we have trekked over the last several months all through First Timothy, verse by verse, passage by passage, as whatever, um, whatever we needed to do to address the content. So at the end of this letter, I'm going to ask that we do something that I think is really special for us. I don't think many churches do this. I know, well, I'll take that back. I know many churches don't do this. And I think that they're absolutely 100% missing out. And you're a captive audience right now, so we're going to do it anyway, okay? But when the epistles were written, they were written as a letter, like, 1 Timothy is a letter. And we study it broken into segments and broken into sections, which I think is good. It helps us to really press in and understand what's really being said. But whenever you get a letter, you don't just read part of the letter and then come back the next day and read like the next four sentences and then come back the next day and read the next four sentences. You read that letter all the way through. Whenever Chas and I were dating, 
we had this book, and I didn't bring it today as an illustration, but we'd write these letters to one another in this book, and we can go back now and we can read them. Um, we don't do it a whole lot. It's actually in a fireproof safe because if the house burns down, like I want that book preserved. Those letters between us mean something, but whenever we'd get them, you devour that letter, you read it, it means something, and it has a full context. I didn't just take one paragraph and then think about it for a whole week. And then go back and take another paragraph and think about it for a whole week. I read it. And I've reread some of them. And I've reread some of them again. And there's funny pictures of us because we were a lot younger and I had longer hair. And I've been told by my kids, not a good look, Dad. So we won't make our way back to that. But the epistles were written as one letter. And whenever a church would receive the letter, then those who were in the church, they would gather like this. And then the letter was read in its entirety. Because everybody wanted to know, what did Paul send us? What did Peter send us? What did James say? What did this apostle send us? And it was a, it was a love letter from the apostle or, or from whoever this person was to that congregation. We miss that today. So we do need the expository preaching where we move verse by verse. That will always be the steady diet of cross life. But for the last five years, what we've done whenever we have one of the letters... We go back and we read it in its entirety to understand what they fully said. Now, whenever we get to Hebrews and, and Romans, we won't do those in their entirety. I know you love the Lord, but I just don't think that, that we can do it for 16 chapters. And so these shorter ones, I want you to hear it. So it's customary for us when we finish one of the epistles, as we've done for the last five years, we read it in its entirety here. All the pieces come back together. Also keep in mind that we've been preaching through 1 Timothy for the last several months. So if we get to a verse and, and you're a guest and you're like, wait, what is, or you're a member and you're like, wait, what was that when we were out that week? What does that mean? Then we do have a podcast. We've been preaching. We try to post them um, as regularly as we possibly can. But what I want you to hear in this whole letter is this. God cares about his church and he clearly communicates that he cares about his church all throughout scripture. So let's lean into 1 Timothy and see what God's Word communicates to us about the church, about the leaders of the church, about false teaching, about the relationships within the church, about, y'all get this, the pursuit of holiness for the sake of God's glory as we do this together. I understand a lot of churches don't do this. Drew and I were talking one day and she was talking to a friend and her friend said, well, I guess your pastor had an easy time doing sermon prep because he's just reading the, the passage. No, I'm telling you, what you need from me is not my wisdom. You need the Word of God. So this is the best thing that I can possibly give you today. And it says this. You can follow along. I'm in ESV. But from beginning to end, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glory of the, I'm sorry, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all then, I, Paul, Urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for the kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to learn quietly. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder or pastor must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, 
must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I, Paul, hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And for to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I, Paul, come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, she has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command and teach these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone... If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. 
If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has... Um, let me slow down on that one. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I, Paul, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church be not burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows." Let the elders who rule, let the elders who rule well. Be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He, he who is a blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, you care about your church. How can we deny that, Lord? How can we, how can we say that you have not given us direction, that you, that you do not care? Lord, how can we read Scripture truly and see your word breathed through men, preserved through the ages, all by your Holy Spirit? Lord, how can we look at your word? which is living and breathing. And how can we say that you do not care for us? Lord, I grant that 1 Timothy is a book that reveals to us your church and how you desire the leaders to be and how you desire the, the relationships to be and, and that there should be... Lord, I understand that it's about the church. But Lord, would you give us understanding that we see that we as believers are the church, that we are the body, we are the temple, we are the bride. And one day, one glorious day, we will be married to you forever and ever and ever. But until then, we remain. And you have given us instruction and revealed to us what you want your church to be like. So Lord, would you teach us how all of this applies not just a cross life and name. Lord, we're just a local expression of your church. But Lord, help us to understand that as believers, we are part of the universal church and that you've clearly told us what we should be doing. Lord, thank you for your word. May it remain and everything else that is not accord in accordance with your word today. May it be forgotten. But Lord, May cross life always be about your glory. Whether for five years, 15 years, or 50, Lord, however long we remain together as your people in this expression of your church, Lord, may we do all things for your glory, knowing that church names pass away, buildings crumble, finances go, but you remain. So, Lord, we desire that your glory be known in all that we do. Teach us how to do that more and more. Amen.